Will I still have a house in a month? Home is love. Affordable housing really fills a need. Home is hope. You're always grateful to have a roof over your head. Eden Housing is that hope. Welcome to the Affordable Housing Podcast, brought to you by Eden Housing. Community Housing Development Corporation was founded in 1990 to advocate for affordable housing and to address inequities that African-Americans faced in their access to housing overall. Hi, I'm Joanne Green. And on this episode of the Affordable Housing Podcast, brought to you by Eden Housing, we'll hear from two highly dedicated and successful affordable housing advocates. Don Gilmore, Executive Director of Community Housing Development Corporation, known as CHDC, and Linda Mandolini, President of Eden Housing. A bit of background on our speakers. Don Gilmore built CHDC from an all-volunteer team to a robust organization with four core programs and a staff of more than 40. Earlier, he was housing development specialist at the City of Alameda Housing Authority and executive director of Richmond Neighborhood Housing. Linda Mandolini has run Eden Housing since 2001, overseeing affordable housing production, resident support services, and property management, and a staff of more than 400. Under her leadership, Eden has become one of the most productive and successful nonprofit affordable housing developers and owners in California and is nationally recognized for its work. To date, Eden has developed or acquired more than 11,000 affordable rental apartments in communities throughout California, completed three portfolio mergers and acquisitions, and has launched a number of initiatives to increase affordable housing preservation and to promote sustainable practices. Don and Linda, welcome. Thanks for having us. Thank you. 50 years ago, Congress passed the Fair Housing Act of 1968 to prevent housing discrimination in the sale, rental, and financing of housing. Don, is it safe to say that the promise still hasn't been realized? Yeah, the promise still hasn't been realized. The ebb and flows of uh, different administrations that are coming in have various focuses. And then we go back and forth on the progress there. Um, but I think um, for the most part, the exposure to um, the need for affordable housing has dramatically been um, realized. It's the wheel that we're looking for to get some of these initiatives through. Linda, you've worked closely with John in Richmond. Can you tell us about your partnership and also your efforts to forge a more diverse and inclusive real estate development industry? You know, I have to say when I was getting ready for this uh, podcast, I was thinking about to when did I first meet Don? And it was in 1996 uh, when I had first moved to California and I was a project manager on a development that we were working with CHTC on in unincorporated North Richmond, which uh, is a community that has uh, really um, was plagued by disinvestment when when Don had the vision to start thinking about how could you spur reinvestment. And so my very one of my very first pieces of work at Eden as a project manager was to help build 50 units of senior housing and the offices that CHDC, I don't know, Don, are you still occupying those offices? Um, uh, commercial space next door uh, in, in a location where, um, you know, disinvestment was really the, the, the trend and we reversed that with this project. We had um, a, a phenomenal partnership with CHDC um, and a commitment at Eden to doing work um, to help them build capacity. Um, at the time, they did not have the capacity they have today to be the lead developer on a project, and they needed, uh, well, I don't know if we could call them deep pockets at the time, but they needed a more uh, 
a bigger balance sheet, uh, which Eden had, and, and, and more sort of technical help on their team. And so we forged this partnership that has, I think, really been uh, truly successful. And when people talk about um, equity and community building and building wealth in communities, I think the work that we're doing with CHDC is, it really exemplifies that. It's a, a partnership between us to help those assets not only get built and the investment to happen in the communities, but but for those communities to become you know, and, you know, become self-sufficient. And, and actually for CHDC, who has grown magnificently, I think, in the last two decades since I've been working with Don, um, to really be, you know, representative of the community and work on the ground and, and to be the owner of those assets. And so we've worked really hard to have a partnership that does that. Um, and, and we do everything jointly together. So it's been really um, personally quite gratifying uh, to work on this partnership. It's been um Part of my life's work is to to help communities that that don't get um, what wealthy communities get um, get a piece of the pie, and this has really exemplified uh, that kind of partnership. Yeah, I think um, this is a unique type of partnership that we developed, but it all came from a joint understanding of what our mission was for. We we explained that you know, as as Linda said, there was disinvestment in the community, there was redlining for sure. Um, and so we had to do advocacy as well as build a development arm to be able to produce product and to make some improvements in the community. So Eden was one of the, well, the only nonprofit that actually bought into the vision for, um, you know, to build capacity, uh, to, to help us get to a part where we could do developments on our own. We know that you need to get there some kind of way to be able to have any um, wherewithal, increase your balance sheet. Uh, to get experience. And so that was the plan from the very start. And uh, we continue to work uh, as partners. And some that, sometimes it's not that either one of us couldn't do it on our own, but it's the fact that it's a unique partnership. Um, uh, the Eden recognizes the benefit of a community-based organization like us in these developments. And it's been really a a pleasure. One of the things that we did when we first looked at our community, and I think it's going to be a model going forward, is that, you know, there's a lot of stakeholders in, in communities and it's and it's hard sometimes to um, get everybody on the same page and work together toward a, a goal. And when in, out here in, in unincorporated North Richmond and in the city of Richmond, we developed a memorandum of understanding with all the stakeholders, whatever they did, if it was social services, if it was, um, you know, recreation, if it was the need to do uh, infrastructures in the street, we bought into the pact and the two municipalities, the city of Richmond and Contra Costa County bought into that. So we had a roadmap, we had a vehicle where we could go fundraise for, and uh, they knew that the community was together on a mission and a goal. And it was outlined very well. And it's been in existence for the last 20 years. Well, and that work that Don really led on the ground to, to help make some of that community coalition building happen, you know, Eden, we, we're not going to do that necessarily in Richmond. You know, it has to be a local organization that knows the players that can really, um, you know, bring people together and, and try to, you know, outline how is it we're going to get changed. And, and you know, and, and this was a community in North Richmond that you know, there was no uh, street infrastructure. Basic things that you take for granted did not exist in, in some of these projects that we've worked on. And so to have that kind of coalition really pushing to get stuff done,
done. That first project we did, we had to go to George Miller, who was a member of Congress, to get it funded because HUD didn't want to invest in that neighborhood. They only wanted to invest with their senior housing program in wealthier suburban communities. And, and we literally had to work hard to unredline the federal programs to be in that neighborhood. And I think having community coalitions that could help us drive some of that advocacy was huge. But it also really helps us, I think, stay in touch with the community. The project we most recently opened, Miraflores, we worked with three neighborhood associations and Don's team did a phenomenal job of working with them and organizing them and bringing them to meetings so that we could work with them together on what, what's your vision for what should go in this neighborhood? What, what's your vision for how this should look? Who should live here? And, and I think that resulted in a much better project um, than we would have done had even just sort of swooped into Richmond and done it ourselves. I don't think we would swoop in. I think we feel really strongly that we don't really want to work in Richmond if we're not working with Don because it just only, it really makes sense for us to have this be a community driven effort. Tell us about the recent Richmond Health Center project, too. Well, the um, the recent Richmond Health Project, that's the 38th Avenue, 38th Street project. Um, Eden and, and CHDC joined together again and responded to an RFP. And, um, you know, we were the, uh, the developers that were picked for it. And we've been going through a, a series of uh, different um, community meetings and different processes and to, to get the project going. But we have a really uh, nice design. We've got, it, it's, it basically is a partnership with, with both the uh, city of uh, Richmond and the Contra Costa County. And we're working through um, social services there as well. It's gonna be a very comprehensive um, development and it's going to respond again to the community's needs. We're having you know regular meetings with the, the neighborhood councils in the communities and working through um, that process. John, it's no secret that Richmond hasn't been a development mecca. On the one hand, I'm, I'm assuming that presents challenges, but I'm guessing that it might also offer unique opportunities. Am I right? Well, it's, it's kind of a, you know, a, a double-edged sword a little bit. I mean, the, the big issue in Contra Costa County, particularly in Richmond, is the resources available compared to other resources in, you know, like San Francisco and Silicon Valley and Oakland. Um, and, you know, they have um, forged ahead with different um, initiatives to help um, have these projects in their communities um, compete well uh, with state funding as well as with federal funding. So. That's why a lot of our projects might take longer uh, because, you know, you get queued up and fund over time to basically amount to the funds that you can be competitive with. Um, and one of the things, I mean, I'm trying to think of the benefit of that, but it's really hard to do uh, development without having the resources. And so that is the big problem going forward. But far as, you know, it does have a down-home benefit to it. I mean, it's a very close community. Um, there is advocacy. You have a lot of, you have a lot of the other synergies that you need. It's the resources that are really the challenge. Linda, what would you say about both the challenges and the opportunities of developing housing in Richmond? Well, I mean, I think, you know, I, I agree with Don. I think one of the biggest challenges for us is that the, when California eliminated redevelopment agencies, 
they really stripped uh, Richmond of most of the resources it had to do uh, the kind of reinvestment that you need in some of the communities that we work in together with Don. And I think that has never been recovered in that county. Um, Contra Costa hasn't really had the same kinds of resources. Um, they don't have an electorate. So to get uh, housing funding on a ballot uh, locally, you need a two thirds vote. And, and it's just such a conservative county that it's very hard to get a two thirds vote. To, to, it's hard anywhere. Uh, last year, uh, a number of those ballot initiatives failed in, in other jurisdictions around the state. And and so it's really a challenge to get the local resources that you need. And, and then when you go to apply for money at the state, you need matches from the locality just to be competitive for the state money. So so some kind of fix for for this at the local level. So that would be reduce the threshold for a, a ballot initiative for housing to 55 percent instead of instead of two thirds. That would help us a lot in, in counties that don't have the same kind of resource base. And, you know, I think. We always figure out a way. It just takes a really long time when you have to, you know, kind of go in smaller increments. I mean, the most recent project we opened was a 10 plus year uh, sojourn for all of us to get to this to the finish line. It was gratifying, but really with the kind of affordable housing problem that we have, it shouldn't take that long. So, you know, and I, I think the state has done a good job of amping up the resources, but, you know, a place like Richmond, it needs more mixed income opportunities, right? Because you don't want to build only housing at the extremely low end. And there's clearly demand for that all day long. But, you know, we like to invest in things that are maybe a little higher income or first time homeownership opportunities. And we just don't have a suite of programs that that allow for that kind of broader base of income mixing. So if I had a wish list, I'd put that on there. But and I'll say this about Richmond. It's a, a terrifically interesting community. Um, the history of Richmond and El Cerrito is, is really rich, not just for the African-American community, but the Japanese-American community. Um, one of our most recent projects was an old nursery. Um, for those of you who are local to the Bay Area, when you look over the freeway on the 80, 80 heading into San Francisco, you'd see this green, these greenhouses that were um, being sold. And so we bought them, cleaned up the land and, and built our, our most recent project on it. But the story of the families that lived there was really powerful. Um, and the history of Richmond just the, the just the community and the history of the African American community that worked there in the in the shipyards and and the blues scene like there's a lot of cool stuff about Richmond and it's a great location. It's it's you know you're 20 minutes from downtown San Francisco. You are not uh, far away. You're on the bay. You've got some amazing views, um, and so it really has this weird tension of parts of it that are gentrifying with huge pressure and other parts of it that still need more investment. And that's kind of what makes it interesting for people like me and Don, because it, it, it's a, it's like, wow, there's a lot of opportunity here. And if you can have the right kinds of investment and, and, and be comprehensive in how you think about it, I think it, it can make a big difference. I think my challenge now, and I think this is the, the hard part is it just takes too long. So, you know, 10 years to get something done is really, um, you're not going to make that kind of change quickly and, and comprehensively without more money. So, Don, you have a reputation as being a visionary leader who makes a place at the decision-making table for folks who haven't traditionally had a seat. How have you done this? Well, it's a lot of community engagement. Um, you know, we we feel that if if we don't get buy-in from the community, then they don't have a sense of ownership as to what we're building or what we're producing, and so we've. And we nurture that along the way, and we we really take to heart, and you know they, what they they want to do. Like this last development that we, um, well, a development that's coming up in North Richmond, unincorporated, 
is is um, an, a site that's being vacated by the housing authority. And the community has put together a lot of different visions, not just for that site, it's over 10 acres. And then there's another site, another scattered site that has about um, 40 something units throughout the, the area. So there's a main campus and then there's a scattered site campus. So after all the uh, conversation on the plan, the community says, and I agree with them, that it's an excellent opportunity to create ownership for folks that are nearly not be able to, to afford or to get into it. And so we've been looking at different uh, funding streams to extend that opportunity to um, folks that have been impacted, say African-Americans by the, um, you know, the 2008 downturn where all the predatory lending took that opportunity a lot away for generations. So we're looking for ways to make that a possibility. And for those who haven't been able to get into um, the ownership realm to make it happen as well. But the community came up with some different uh, ideas that uh, were very unique. They they wanted ownership in a range of different areas. Your regular ownership, um, where it's very fee simple and, and, and ordinary to the, to the area, but also they were looking at some land trusts, um, some cooperatives, um, and at the same time, looking at a ways that we can, you know, do a um, a store, community-owned store. So, um, you know, it's 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 the way to get it done is to involve, and then when you go involve your your residents, because they become your greatest advocates uh, for resources. And um, I think um, we need some creative financing to get get it done. And uh, one thing that uh, CHTC is now is. We have a CDFI affiliate. Um, we're looking at some potential for new market tax credits to help the affordability, as well as some of the treasury funds to help us um, mitigate some of those high costs or make it affordable to a range of from low to moderate income families to get into home ownership uh, out in, um, in Richmond. Well, the other thing that Donna's done that I, I think is, um, is actually pretty incredible, uh, you know, I, I think, uh, groups like CHTC have have um, had a lot of challenges in accessing the kinds of funding that the bigger developers always get to. And so Don led a coalition of, of black developers to uh, push the state of California to create a set aside to help build the capacity of, of black controlled and black owned businesses. And I think in other minorities as well. But I just think that was really um, an incredible piece of leadership on Don's part in the last year. You know, a lot of people have been talking about um, how we need to move uh, uh, on issues around civil rights with the horrific events around George Floyd. Um, and Don has actually really been stepping up uh, and leaning into that for his whole career. And so I, I just wanna commend him for the work he did last year to really you know, push the state to start acknowledging that you, know, you have to build wealth and capacity in these communities. It's really important. And you know, for most of us who, who have been able to buy a home, that's not a slam dunk for people of color. They are historically underrepresented, and in this country, it's the quickest way to build wealth. And so that's the way most people traditionally build savings for when they're in retirement, and, and we cannot leave these communities behind. And so I, Don has also done a lot of leadership with NeighborWorks at the national level to think about how do we build stronger um, community development corporations uh, on the ground in communities like Richmond and, and all over the country. And I just really, um, I think that leadership is critical um, to the success of these organizations. And as someone who worked in a community development corporation at the start of my career, and it's still a really thriving place, investment on the ground, 
that has the buy-in and ownership of the community is the only way you're really going to successfully uh, move these communities out of the kind of poverty that they face. So. so a big part of the affordable housing world is advocacy, letting public officials know what's needed. And sometimes you have to be really creative. Can you, either of you, share an example or I guess I'm, I'll direct this to Don first of what you've done at the state level that's resulted in positive change. Well, I'll, I'll just um, get a little more in detail about what we did in the state for the um, um, tax credit program. Um, basically, we we brought out the fact that uh, the the, Bl the black developers form a new group that's formed together, um, basically because you know we were experiencing the same thing. Of, of not being able to break through and, and access those resources um, based on the criteria that was set forth in the threshold allocations for uh, developers. And so um, not having one uh, developer that would score uh, enough to, to get points without joint venturing with someone um, made it difficult on us being able to penetrate and also um, build wealth on our own because we wouldn't be able to do anything on our own based on the criteria. And you know the thresholds can't be met until you get experience points, and and that that's just a hard thing to do unless you you know you have a good partner. Uh, but we what we did we looked into those qualifications guidelines and said what can we do to make it um, more um, inclusive. And so one of the things that we did we said look you know any any developer that's going to joint venture with um, uh, a BIPOC, as we call it, Black, Indigenous, and people of color, um, they need to share 50% of their developer fee. Now, this is nothing new with Linda, but that's new to the industry. It, it, it's just unheard of. Um, but what that does is this, it gives each of those organizations some, some capacity money to build their organization. And at the same time, it, uh, it gives them experience of you know what this tax credit pro projects are all about, and they gain knowledge, and then it, you take that on to the to the next deal. And so they, we got a set aside of about 115 million dollars that's set aside for that pool. And so um, that's unheard of, uh, but it's it's addressing uh, the a systemic change that was needed in that in that program. And so it's not all done on one swoop. This is going to take over time to perfect and to uh, highlight other systemic uh, issues that are in inherently in um, these programs and the, the biases that are in the programs. But that's not just at the state. It's on the local uh, and federal st stage as well. And so Linda alluded to our national group, which is um, groups that are in the NeighborWorks organization that are, are we call those Black Community Develop, uh, Development Group. And we're basically trying to have an impact nationwide where we expose the things similar to what we exposed at the state to provide greater opportunity for um, wealth building, um, both in individual with home ownership, both in um, capacity in uh, the local organizations so they can basically do a range of improvements in a comprehensive way in, in the community. So this is an ongoing um, battle, so to speak, or um, campaign, so to speak, to, to basically bring the awareness of, of, of these um, imperfections in the process. And I don't think people have, have done these intentionally. It just becomes a default 
um, back if, if they're not uh, addressed directly. Linda, from your perspective, how far is California from where it needs to be when it comes to diversity, equity, and inclusion in real estate development and also property management? California is a really interesting place. We're a very diverse state. Um, so I think in that way, California is a great place to be. But I think we kind of have a long way to go when it comes to economic and racial diversity in real estate. And I think the challenge for California has been that we're really good at producing high-end, uh, expensive housing, but but we still don't have a permanent way to produce affordable housing or, or a permanent structure for financing affordable housing. And then we have this law in California lovingly referred to as CEQA, which is our environmental act that makes it possible for anybody who um, wants to prevent a project to basically take you to court and and, and delay your projects. And it, it creates this sort of endless loop of, of hearings that you have to be in for development. And I think um, it, it's why a lot of times it takes five to 10 years just to get a project to the starting line. And, and I think that that tool has been used really to discriminate. Um, and, and I think uh, sometimes you're in communities where NIMBYs really don't want to have housing in their neighborhood. They can use that tool really to prevent you from, from building in those communities and extend your processing time until you either give up in frustration or you just, you know, it's no longer feasible to do your project. And so I think um, uh, we, we have a long way to go. We've had some really interesting bills in the last few years, SB 35 and SB 330, which give you specialized expedited status under CEQA and limit your number of hearings. Um, they go sort of far, but not quite far enough because uh, when we want to challenge those bills, uh, if somebody challenges us, we have to take them to court. And, you know, lawsuits take a long time and cost a lot of money. And so the onus is still on us to do that. And so you still see, you know, a lot of lower income communities um, clustering in the same places. It's hard to get access to building affordable housing in some of the better school districts um, because it just the, the, the approvals processes take such a long time there. Um, we have some good laws like the housing element law that I think are starting to, to push a little bit more. And there's a lot more accountability because we need to build a million four, 1.4 million homes, affordable homes in California to meet the demand. And we need to build probably two and a half million to meet the demand overall. And so unless we open up the timeframes and try to invest in the affordable side of this, we're never going to catch up. Um, I don't know, Don, what do you think? It's it's really tough. Yeah, it's really tough. And, um, you know, one of the things um, that we saw in the um, the um, housing market for the mortgages and, you know, the predatory lending and stuff that took place, we're still trying to rebound from that. Um, but, you know, we saw a different trend where you had, um, you know, some of the larger nonprofit development corporations basically taking advantage of some of the um, local churches who where their membership had went down and they had like parking lots and they, they had a desire to, you know, maybe reposition their their property and address the affordable housing issues and, and build there and, and actually, um, um, the outcome has, was not positive in a way that we've been talking about before for a lot of the, the, the churches. Um, they weren't being able to participate in the development fee. They weren't being able to, well, they didn't realize they didn't have full control over the, the asset when it was done. And, and, and a lot of times lost their total, their ownership of the, of the property uh, when, it, when the tax credit period went away. 
So we developed a, um, a faith-based initiative just to address the, the issues around that and to uh, do a more equitable type of um, a plan that provided you know, the 50% of the developer fee, divided them ownership at the end of the tax credit period. But not only that, it also provides for an asset management component. So when the, the 15 years is up, they know how to, to run that asset and basically can make smart decisions going forward in regard to um, what they want to do with the asset at, at that time. And at the same venue, and Linda may want to talk about this before as well, but we see that that's an opportunity to expose those communities that we work in to opportunities for uh, employment, be it in development, be it in any part of the process of development. But it's an opportunity for property management, a really good opportunity to start training using that as a draw to expose uh, communities to that field. And um, we've been looking at that opportunity for a while and we're, we're putting something in place. We're going to do a pilot prop project in, uh, in Richmond to see how it, how it goes, but um, and have a, a, an intern um, facility that basically place on the job training uh, at the same time. But it's a need, it's an area where it, folks can really find you know, a really good job and can, can set a really good career. Uh, and I think the industry is ripe for that type of um, uh, process, uh, economic development wise. So again, when we're looking at communities, uh, it's to link all um, recyclable uh, resources in the community makes a whole lot of sense. And so that's what we're trying to do with the faith-based initiative. Yeah, and I would just add, going back to the discrimination in property management, I think uh, one of the challenges that folks have had, um, particularly if they have a Section 8 voucher, is that landlords just wouldn't take them. And so there was discrimination based on ability to pay, and a lot of folks who have, have vouchers are people of color. And so it's sort of a more subtle way to discriminate and not rent to people. Um, you know, and, and we have a huge homeless problem in California. What's 150,000 homeless individuals in the state? And you know, the majority of them are people of color. And so we really, I think, in this state need to just do better. We've got to step up our game and we've got to figure out ways to get people housed. Um, you know, we have been really fortunate in Contra Costa and a couple of other counties. In fact, I'm going to give an award to the county housing authority directors um, later this afternoon um, for working to be really important partners for us. Um, they, because they've had so much frustration in placing vouchers, they've actually started working with groups like uh, ours um, to put their vouchers into our projects, which does two things. A, it helps us serve people um, and give them that extra help to make sure they can pay their rent. Um, but it also allows us to leverage their um, their voucher payments to, to uh, create more financing for our own projects. And it's been in Contra Costa, Joseph Villarreal, who's also on Don's board, uh, who's the executive director of the Housing Authority has been a phenomenal partner for us in thinking about how to effectively use um, the work of the Housing Authority to build new housing that's high quality, that that meets the needs of the Housing Authority, and that also helps us uh, uh, build our housing. It's been really a terrific partnership for us. But, you know, I, I think it's just really difficult, um, Joanne, California, um, I sometimes refer to it as the politics of me, not the politics of we liberalism, that we tend to be a kind of libertarian state. So I got mine, you figure out how to get yours. And I think we've got to, as a state, figure out how we're going to make room for more people because we need people to live in the state. We need people to work in all kinds of jobs. 
And we won't be successful as a state if we don't um, create some room for, for people to live here. And having people live on the street costs us more money. It's too expensive. It's more money than it is to give them a house. So we have to solve these problems. If our listeners want to get involved in advocacy work, where, where should we direct them? I think they could go to Eden's website or CHDC's website. Um, there's lots of advocacy opportunities for housing in the Bay Area, um, you know, EdenHousing.org. And Don, you can do your. Yep, it's uh, CommunityHDC.org. Yeah, and so uh, you can come to our websites. You can also look to um, the Nonprofit Housing Association of Northern California. There's another group called Cal Yimby. Um, we, we actually... Uh, love it when people come out and say, yes, please build this housing in my neighborhood, because the folks who who come to say no, uh, they're all very well organized. And folks who uh, just want it and don't have maybe 10 hours in their evening to go to a city council hearing, um, but really want the housing, showing up to hearings and helping to advocate for this. This work really matters. Or if you, you know, call your congressperson or your state assembly or senator and just say housing matters, you got to you got to invest in it. Um, and there's lots of folks and lots of ways to plug in uh, from volunteering with organizations like ours to advocating on our behalf. We would welcome any of that. Yeah. And I think another good source is that, you know, like Richmond have uh, areas of um, neighborhood councils and they have a, a coordinating council that that's that's over that branch. But most communities have uh, local um, associations. Um, that um, you can build some synergy around initiatives. Uh, and, and it seems to be very impactful. And um, they get the attention of, uh, you know, local officials. And it's, it's just better in numbers to get it done. And, it, and those, those structures are already set up. And uh, I think that's a good way to do it. Don Gilmore, Executive Director of CHDC, and Linda Mandolini, President of Eden Housing, thanks so much for participating in this podcast today and for the work that you do year in and year out to make the affordable housing market more equitable and more inclusive. To hear more episodes and to follow the Affordable Housing Podcast, go to your favorite podcast app or visit us at edenhousing.org. 